Every once in a while, you'll come across something that you absolutely love, but you aren't exactly sure why. It might be a new restaurant, it might be your girlfriend or boyfriend, it might be a movie that you just saw, or even a video game. But when you are asked to explain why you love it so much, you can't really say. Something about that person, place, or thing is simply addictive to you. You can't get away from it, and when you're pressed to explain why, you're left at a loss. L.A. Noir is one such game for me. It doesn't quite fit in the typical form of a video game. This is, in many ways, an interactive mini-series like the ones you would expect to see on AMC or the History Channel. You take on control of Cole Phelps, who is a rising star in the LAPD. If you're outside the US, that's simply the Los Angeles Police Department in California. The year is 1947 and you, along with many other people, are veterans of World War II, having just fought in the Pacific Campaign. Now already, the setting I'm absolutely in love with. This was a very interesting time for the United States, a time of mystery and excitement. We had just finished off a couple large powers in World War II. Everybody's coming back and trying to find their place in the world. And it's an exciting time. Nobody knows exactly where they fit, but they're trying to find that spot. Cole Phelps, the protagonist of the game, is no different. He's starting out as a decorated Marine Corps veteran. However, he comes over and he immediately starts working as a patrol officer for the LAPD, doing basic grinding shifts, driving around, taking whatever calls come over the radio. This is the point when we gain control of Phelps, and at this point we begin solving cases, which is the core gameplay loop that Ellie Noir is going to put you into. Now at its core, L.A. Noir is a detective, adventure, action, whatever game. It fits into a lot of genres, however, all of those genres contain other games that do these elements much, much better. Now it's important to remember that this game came out in 2011, so it is a bit of an oldie, and while the technology, especially the motion scanning technology they use to capture the faces in this game, at the time it was very, very impressive, it was revolutionary even, but uh, nowadays it does look a bit dated. The core idea behind L.A. Noir, however, is that you are a detective and you will be interrogating witnesses and people of interest while analyzing their facial responses, their brow furrowing, their mouth twitching, their eyes glancing and darting, and previously, especially in 2011, this was simply not possible. However, because of the motion scan technology that they developed for this game specifically, they were able to do it. Previously, if you wanted this level of compelling facial animation to the point where you could deduce whether or not an individual is lying just based on their facial expressions, that was simply impossible, other than going and pre-rendering a massive sequence for each and every time you need that to happen. However, Team Bondi, the developer of L.A. Noir, that eventually would contract Rockstar Games to publish this game, they decided to develop a new technology, open up a sister company, by the name of Depth Analysis that developed a new motion capture technology by the name of Motion Scan that, as far as I can tell, hasn't been used at least in the same capacity since. The core idea of this technology is that you have roughly 32 cameras, all HD, surrounding a particular actor sitting in a chair, and the actor delivers a performance reading off lines and reciting whatever scene they're working on that day. The cameras capture all of this and then stitch it together using an algorithm to essentially sticky map, as it's called in the animation world, this video onto a basic model. What this means is that instead of having to physically animate jaws moving and eyelids opening and shutting, it's simply playing a video that's been mapped around a simple model. And of course, it's a very simplified version of the tech, but for all intents and purposes, that's what it is. As I said at the time, this was revolutionary. This had never been done before, and the idea that you could have compelling, realistic-looking facial animations on characters was simply foreign. It was insane to see this actually happen, and it really did make it feel as though we were playing through a movie. 
The other key element of this game is, of course, the gameplay. And this is the one element that has been highly, highly criticized ever since the game's initial launch. The classic debate has always been between gameplay is king and narrative is king. And some people say, well, both can be king, but you have to balance them properly. You can have a game like The Last of Us, which clearly has a more narrative approach and focus, but you can also have a game like Bloodborne, which is very gameplay focused. It has narrative elements, but that is by no means the focus of the game. And so this debate has always been raging ever since the early days of gaming, but L.A. Noir really brought this up once more because most of the gameplay systems within this game are very clunky, they're slow, they aren't done very well. They're basically shadows of other games that do these same exact things much, much better. Now we're gonna talk about all of this and I'm gonna offer my thoughts on it with each of these sections, which will have timestamps down in the description box below. I will also say that this game is, of course, a detective investigation game. You have to find clues and solve cases, interrogate people, tell when they're telling the truth, etc., etc., blah, blah, blah. Point being, I don't want to spoil as many of these cases as possible while going through this video. So if you want this game to be totally fresh to you, I highly recommend that you click away, come back, watch this afterwards. I do recommend this game for most people. But if you don't care that much and you just want to see what my thoughts are on it before playing it, I will talk about certain cases, but don't worry, I'll do my best not to spoil anything outright. I also will be forced to use gameplay essentially only from the first half of the game because I lost the last 10 hours of gameplay that I had recorded. I'm not exactly sure how that happened, it looks like something got basically recorded over with a little hiccup in OBS and Gamecaster. Point being, this video is going to focus primarily on the first half of the game in terms of footage, but we're going to talk about the whole thing. So with that said, let's just get into it. So L.A. Noir was developed by Team Bondi and launched on May 17th of 2011 and was marketed as an action-adventure detective game set in L.A. in the Noir period. Now, as I previously stated, this setting is a dream come true for me to play through because this was such an interesting and fascinating time in American history where we had just gotten off of a couple world wars and a Great Depression. People were coming back and all of a sudden life was going back to normal after essentially decades of horrible, horrible depressions and wars. America was essentially the only country left on the planet that didn't have all of its infrastructure demolished in the wars, so we were the only ones that could actually produce. And as a result, there was this financial boom throughout the 40s and the 50s and even into the 60s where everyone else was rebuilding after the wars, but America was providing all of those materials and resources that they, the other countries needed to rebuild. We were providing it, and as a result, lots of money and lots of success came into most people's lives in this time period. Now don't get me wrong, there were also some real issues in this period. People coming back from war were previously, their entire job was just to hunt down and kill other people. These people come back and they're expected to just fit back into American society, to live peacefully next to their neighbor and not cause any issues. And for many people, this didn't quite work out. And Ellie Noir tries to capture that exactly. Essentially, the people that came back from the war had a choice. They could either go off and become uh, pretty normal people, go get married, have kids, start a nine to five job and chug along, or you could go into law enforcement, maintain that same style of life uh, where it's very structured, where you have a commander. It, it basically echoes the same hierarchy that you were used to during the war. 
The third option is the one that a lot of people chose after coming back, and that is, of course, to get involved in some sketchy stuff. These people realized that they wouldn't exactly fit perfectly into American society in their current state, and either weren't willing or capable of adjusting back into American society. As you go through L.A. Noir, you'll interact with characters and people that all have made one of these three decisions, and Cole Phelps, the protagonist, has made the second choice that I listed earlier. He's a married man, however, this is not a major plot point throughout 99% of the game. In fact, I would be surprised if most people were even aware that Cole Phelps is married, aside from the shot in the opening montage that shows him kissing her goodbye as he goes off to work. As you play through the game, there's many flashbacks that go back all the way from the initial enlisting of Cole Phelps and a couple of his buddies into the Marine Corps, and then it follows through out the war showing where he was, some of the most impactful moments in their military careers and how it's affected them in the current day. However, as you go through El Noir, you'll realize that Cole Phelps is not your typical protagonist. He essentially acts as a vessel upon which players can sort of shove their expectations and interpretations of the world on and then use his body and his eyes and his life to explore the world. Now don't get me wrong, Cole Phelps does have his moments of character exposition where he's shown off and when you get to learn more about him. At the end of the game there's a sequence which I won't spoil for you that's very moving. However, for the majority of the game Cole Phelps is just somebody that you're controlling and you aren't expected to care that much about him as a person. He has a few one-liners that are catchy or memorable, but for the most part, he's just there for the player to interact with the world. And the world is the actual star of L.A. Noir. After all, the game isn't called Cole Phelps, the L.A. Noir police detective. It's called L.A. Noir. The game is set in this noir era of Los Angeles, California, and that world, that city, that vibe, that time period is the focus. Everything about the game, from the design of the floors, to the houses, to the way that people talk, to the way that they dress, to the way that the art is stylized throughout the entire game, even down to the shots used in a couple cutscenes which are made to directly echo films from that time period, everything is built around Los Angeles. Now, I honestly believe that once you start playing through L.A. Noir with this thought and this distinction in mind, you'll start to have a better time. If you're expecting to learn a ton about Cole Phelps and have all these plot twists and character development, you aren't really going to find it. Cole Phelps went through most of his development as a character and as a human being during the war, as most people would. And he's decided to adjust to this new life outside of the war by becoming a police officer and then a detective and then a traffic operator and all of this and then a homicide detective. This is how he's chosen to go through the world and interact with it. And as a result, he's pretty resolute and firm in his ways. There's only a few places that his character can go to and by the end of the game, they've gone there, but especially in the last few missions and cases that you go through leading up to the big ending finale moment, Cole Phelps goes back to this very firm, stoic, heroic, uh, stereotypical character, which I actually am fine with because it's supposed to be like an old 1950s detective caper set in this era. Now that's just the meta story. You are a police officer who then becomes a traffic control operator who then becomes a detective and you move your way up and down the ladder of the LAPD fighting corruption, solving crimes, doing all this. It's pretty straightforward, pretty typical, but where the game starts to really shine is in the individual cases. Now, I don't know about you, but I have always been a big fan of these detective-type shows. Whether you're talking about Monk, which is uh, one of my personal favorites, or you're talking about a show like Psych, or any of the other detective uh, crime mystery TV shows, whether they're silly and more comical, or they're very, very serious. Every episode has a new case that needs to be solved, and as you go through the episode, you see what the character is seeing, and you try to solve it along with them. 
The difference in L.A. Noir, of course, is that you are the detective. You're the one going through, finding the clues, interviewing the suspects, and as you go through the game, the cases will steadily get more and more complicated. In the first five or so cases, there's really only one suspect and you can't really go wrong. Even if you go and find zero clues, which I actually did when I was playing through this game, I purposely tried to mess up every single interview question and interrogation and clue finding and in these initial cases there's no way you can get it wrong if in the first interrogation that you have if you get every question wrong your boss will be standing outside and he'll force you back into the interrogation room to do it again until you get it right there's and it resets it's basically just a reload as you go through the game however there are chances for you to screw up and possibly even convict the wrong person. Now what I appreciate is that they don't try to force this on you in those later cases. They leave it kind of up to your imagination. It is possible that you convicted the wrong person and they leave that open for your own interpretation. However, for the majority of cases, there is one way to do it and one way only. You will fail the case or you will successfully solve the case. There's only a couple real options and it's highly, highly linear. This was also one of the major complaints when the game first came out is that many of the missions seemed uh, very similar and overly linear. People started to feel bored as though they didn't have any actual control over what was going on because even if they messed up a couple other sections, it, it didn't matter. You could still go on and solve the case just fine. Now I understand these complaints, however, this is true of most games that are trying to tell a linear story, which L.A. Noir is trying to tell. There is a beginning to the story and there is an end to the story, and the filler are all of these cases. However, it is true that this is a pretty narratively linear game, and so if you absolutely loathe that idea and you're used to something like The Witcher 3 or Elder Scrolls RPG type things, this might not be for you. You. As for the complaint that you can mess up certain sequences and it'll just force you to redo it until you get it right, this has always been true of video games and it's also very true of other linear games specifically such as The Last of Us if you want to reference that one. If you go through a couple of these sequences, there's sequences where you're supposed to run. For instance, this shot when you're running away from one of the trucks that's coming to get Joel and Ellie. If you follow common sense and you continue running, this will be very, very convincing. It seems like you're being shot at, that you're in a lot of danger. However, the reality is that this sequence is scripted such that if you were to buck the trend and behave irrationally, breaking away from the route that they've laid out, uh, you would see that this was actually highly, highly scripted and you aren't in any actual danger. As long as you're running forward, there is no way that you can get shot or damaged or hurt in any way. This is, of course, where immersion comes in. You have to be willing to put yourself into the situation where you would never even think to run off the beaten path and potentially put yourself in danger. You will behave rationally just as the character in the game would behave rationally. Now, as for the writing in the individual cases, which I think is actually pretty important, you're playing through these cases, are they actually mysterious? Are they actually confusing? Uh, do they offer any real challenge? I would say actually yes. Uh, now of course it's been a while since I played through the game for the first time. I played through the game the first time probably back in around 2011. I borrowed it from my uncle for the Xbox 360. The package you opened it up and it had I believe four discs inside. It was such a massive game and a massive undertaking to go through this game. It was the biggest game I had ever played in its entirety from start to finish. Basically Basically, in a week or two, up until that point, it was absolutely phenomenal, and I remember being absolutely and completely immersed in the world. I was Cole Phelps, I was a detective in LA, and I was solving these cases. Each one was more challenging, more confusing than the last one, and offered new plot twists, and there were holes in my perception of the story, but later on I found a clue, and that put it together, and that's when the game is most fun, when you aren't playing it as a video game, but you're trying to play it as a detective. 
when you're searching through the belongings of some individual who has recently disappeared, you look at all of their items and you can see that they have an eyeglass case right there and you realize that that matches the pair of eyeglasses that was at the scene where this individual supposedly uh, disappeared, possible foul play involved. Then you talk to the individual's wife and she says that he had just gotten a new pair. Now, if you're just playing through the game very quickly trying to just find the clues and go to the next location and race through it without really giving the game any credence or thought or due credit, you wouldn't think too much of that. However, if you sat back and thought, you'd realize, oh, well, if this guy, he was going through, and if he honestly was just killed when he parked outside of a railroad station, why was it that he was wearing his old used broken glasses that had taped uh, repairs on it, essentially? Why wasn't he wearing the brand new pair that he had just purchased? That's very strange. That's a bit fugazi. I should look into it. And sure enough, you find out that that's the pair of glasses that the individual planted when he faked his own death to escape with his mistress and that he kept the new fancy pair of glasses that he had just bought. It's a teeny tiny example, but that's just one example of something I came across in this uh, playthrough that I was doing for this video where I hadn't previously caught that line of dialogue. But once I did, it made everything make sense and everything just kind of clicked. And all of a sudden, I understood what Cole Phelps would have been thinking in that situation. He finds a broken pair of glasses at the scene of the crime where this individual disappeared. He talks to his wife, finds out that he had just bought a new pair of glasses so there would be no reason for those used pair uh, to be laying on the ground there or for him to be wearing them there. Very, very strange little details, but they all add up, and that's when you'll have a good time. Now, in terms of replay value, which is something I do want to address, after all, because this is one of my favorite games of all time, and I love getting the opportunity to play it again. It's absolutely phenomenal, and I'm very thankful that I can do these videos and get to play through these games once again. However, I do want to say that this is not a game that, as with any detective show or video game, it's not something that you're going to want to go through every few months. This is a game that you'll play through once, and if you really, really enjoy it, you're going to take a couple years off, even three years off, and then come back to it and play through it all over again with all the clues fresh. A couple things will look familiar, but once you get past the first couple hours, everything will be fresh and new. You might have a few kind of intuitive moments where you feel like something's over here, but you can't remember what but for the most part, you can replay through it and have a good time. If anything, it just makes me want a sequel, which is something we'll talk about later. Now, I'd also like to compare this game to another that came out more recently, and that is Mafia 3. Why do I want to compare this game to Mafia 3? Well, specifically under the narrative umbrella, there are a few topics and issues that are addressed in both of these games, but their approach to addressing it and how they approached it was very, very different. Mafia 3 is a game that's set in 1968 in essentially what is New Orleans, but it's called New Bordeaux in the game. Now, this is a very specific and very particular time period in which there was a lot of racism still going on. There's a lot of tension between whites and blacks. The civil rights movement was at its peak and it was screaming and hollering and some people were still resistant to it and others were embracing it wholeheartedly. However, However, there was a very, very large topic at play, especially that Mafia 3 wanted to address, and that is the issue of being an African-American in this changing world. Now, whenever you tell a story, especially in 2017, and you address topics like this, it will always spark some sort of intense reaction, and that's a little unfortunate because this was something that was very real in American history. There were reactions that were highly negative to people of different cultures and, and skin colors, and each of those have their own reasons behind them, and I'm not villainizing or, or demonizing anybody for having those opinions necessarily, but even addressing it or putting characters like that in a video game already gets people upset and concerned. Now, in 1946, 47, 48, 49 Los Angeles, 
these feelings were just as active as they were in 1968 in New Orleans. Now, they might be a little less intense, people might be a little more chill in Los Angeles, but nonetheless, those uh, interpretations and perceptions of black people were still there. The difference between L.A. Noir and Mafia 3 in addressing these very touchy issues is that L.A. Noir decided to simply tell the story. At one point in the game, we're playing through and we eventually go to a nightclub. And I'll let this scene play out. There's a little bit of language if you are adverse to it, but I think you're grown up enough to handle it. So I'll let this scene play out. You'll like this place. A lot of movie people hang out here. You like jazz, Cole? The hopheads love it. Sure, I guess. Big bands and swing, I can understand, but this bebop palaver? How are you supposed to dance to that? This is Phelps, Leroy. Be nice to him. You'll like this place. They treat you right. You like a table, Roy? What do you think we want to do? Stand at the bar like I'll chumps? I'll get a table ready for you. Don't look so happy to see me, Alphonse. I might get the wrong impression. Cole, this is Alphonse. He's a French Negro from Africa. Can you beat that? The Congo. A pleasure to meet you, Alphonse. Is Elsa singing tonight? Yes, yeah, she is. She has the next set. Come on, Cole. You can meet Elsa while they're fixing us a table. You'll like her. She's something else. Maybe another night, Roy. She's pretty beat up about it. Get your hands off me. Don't ever tell me what to do or what not to do, Alphonse. You got a nice club here. Don't spoil it. If you will follow me, detective. So in that little section of dialogue, there's nothing that's necessarily lecturing you on why this is terrible or why this is awful or, oh, my racism, my sexism or whatever. It's just telling you what it was like in those nightclubs if somebody behaved that way towards a very powerful individual. That's just what would happen. They tell you, they show you, and they let you come to your own conclusions. In Mafia 3, however, it takes a very different approach. It tries to lecture you practically at any moment that it can get its hands on on why this is horrible and you know, my white supremacy and my confederism and it's very very frustrating to play through because even if you agree with everything the game is saying about race relations and about the civil rights movement all of that People don't like being lectured, especially when you're playing through a video game. And so even if the message is good and righteous and holy, it doesn't matter. As long as you're lecturing people, people will be turned off and they'll be distracted from what they should be focused on, which is, of course, the video game. Now, of course, I highly, highly simplified both games' approaches to these racial issues or touchy issues such as drug abuse or uh, domestic violence is a big thing that goes on in L.A. Noir that I don't remember being addressed super specifically in Ma uh, Mafia 3. But nonetheless, there is a much more delicate approach to L.A. Noir, or that L.A. Noir rather takes in discussing these topics that would normally spark a little bit of controversy. They simply tell you what it was like at this time in this place and let you, the player, come to your own conclusions. They trust you enough to say, okay, we're going to show you what this is like, and if you're a decent person, you'll come to the same conclusion we did. That level of respect for the player and their intellect is something that we haven't seen recently in the gaming industry. Rather, there's been a lot of what many people would call social justice that's been going around in the gaming community. You can blame a lot of different people, whether it's Anita Sarkeesian, you can blame uh, practically anybody that you want. The point being that L.A. Noir takes a very fresh approach despite being almost, at this point, six years old. I suppose it's a small point when discussing the narrative of a game like this, but it's something that is so heavily debated and argued in gaming narratives nowadays, I just feel that I should point it out. Just that they do mention these things, they don't ignore the fact that there was racism that was going around, that you could say things that you can't say nowadays, that there was what we would modernly perceive as sexism going on, but they don't lecture you about it. They simply show you what the world was like based on first-hand accounts 
interviews and the people that were actually there, and then they let you come to your own conclusions. It's very fresh. I never felt as though I was being lectured while playing through, despite a few small one-liners by Cole Phelps that are really random and out there. They sometimes happen, but for the most part, the game leaves the player to come to their own conclusions, and I frankly love it. Now, the final and overarching theme that I want to talk about in this narrative section is the overarching theme that contains and holds all of L.A. Noir together, and that is specifically the idea that people and things are not always what they appear to be at first. Playing through the game once more for this video, I was reminded constantly of the film La La Land, and if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil anything directly. I highly recommend that film, though. It's absolutely phenomenal, and I really, really enjoy it. I still listen to the music almost every every single day on drives. It's just absolutely great, but I'll stop about it. Point being, La La Land was a film about Los Angeles, about LA, and about people that go there to achieve their dreams, to make this magic happen where they go from nobody into somebody, where something goes from nothing into the biggest thing on planet Earth, and this majestical perception a lot of people have of that town. Now, if you're outside of the United States, it might not have that majesty and magic around it. But in the United States, Los Angeles is this sort of mythical land, like Olympia. It's bizarre what people perceive of it. They perceive it as a very special place. When in reality, it is a la-la land. It is a fictional construction that people have made up. In reality, it's a cutthroat business environment where people are cheated constantly, where drugs are abundant, where it's basically just a bunch of very broken people trying to tell stories in order to satiate their own thirst for fame, success, and happiness. Throughout L.A. Noir, you'll interview and interrogate multiple actresses and actors, and they do an absolutely phenomenal job of showing what these people were actually like. And one way that you can see that this is actually what it was like is by reading the memoirs and uh, first-hand accounts of people that knew Marilyn Monroe, for instance, when she was an up-and-coming star in the modeling world. Marilyn Monroe's story is actually very, very tragic when you learn more about it. It's actually believed that she had as many as 24 very cheap and hush-hush abortions in her life just in an attempt to maintain her physique after producers and directors that she was trying to get jobs with uh, came at her, molested her, and did various things, promising her a role. That's simply what you had to do to be successful in that world at that time. There's actually, uh, based on my count as I was going through the game, three at least characters who have backstories similar to Marilyn Monroe's, at least in parts. And that might be just a coincidence, or it might be directly uh, referencing her story. I'm not sure. I haven't been able to find any interviews speaking to that directly. But even if it is just a coincidence that these three characters have backstories and stories and have things happen to them very similar to what happened to Marilyn Monroe while she was up and coming, I say it doesn't really matter, point being, that the world that they've built is so believable and the characters that they've constructed are so believable that their experiences match somebody who was in that place at that time trying to do the same thing. So to close out the narrative section, I do just want to say that L.A. Noir does something very, very special, and that is it builds a world that is truly believable in this narrative, this characterization that is in every building, on every sidewalk, on the street lane the cars that you drive, it's all there. And if you're willing to give yourself over to that world, you'll find yourself completely immersed in the lives of these people that, sure, you will only interact with for a short period of time while you solve the case that they're involved with, or perhaps they'll come around later in another case and it'll loop back together and everything connects back together, which does happen a couple times with a few different characters. But once you give yourself over to the story in the world of L.A. Noir, you will have an incredible time. And so if you are at all interested in this time period, I highly recommend that you check out L.A. Noir.
Now the gameplay is where the discussion about L.A. Noir gets a little more complicated because as I've said, the narrative both in setting and style and art direction and everything is right up my alley and I really, really enjoy it. But once we start talking about the gameplay, you have to get a little more objective. It's not as subjective. Now some people may disagree with that, the idea that some gameplay mechanics are only enjoyable to a few people and then some gameplay mechanics are just objectively good and others are objectively bad. Yeah, of course we can argue about anything. My stance is essentially that some gameplay mechanics are objectively good and some are objectively bad, but then others will be left up to individuals' tastes. I may find uh, one game that you you really enjoy for instance uh, if I am trying to play through World of Warcraft I may find it very dry and repetitive I might not like grinding or going on raids that's fine that gameplay loop just didn't really connect with me but to somebody else it will connect to the point where they spend 9,000 hours playing through that game and that's fine people have different tastes but other gameplay mechanics could be potentially just objectively good and others objectively bad or perhaps they're objectively good because they aren't objectively bad so <laughs> they're objectively good by means of not being something else if that makes any sense for an example of an objectively bad gameplay mechanic, we could say something even as extreme as playing Pokemon Go, but every time you want to use a Pokeball, you have to pay out 50 cents to Niantic just to get one swipe at it to try and catch whatever Pokemon you're seeing. That's an objectively bad gameplay mechanic. And you might say it's not gameplay, whatever, you get the point. It's something that feeds into the gameplay mechanics and systems that is objectively not good. Point being, I think there's a mixture of all of these elements and some stuff is just gonna be up to an individual's taste and other things are just going to be objectively bad. And so we're gonna talk about where uh, L.A. Noir falls within that grouping, whether it has more within the objectively bad or just preference-based or if it's objectively good. Now, L.A. Noir's gameplay loop is pretty damn simple. All you're doing is you go to a location after being assigned a case. You go to that location, you analyze clues by walking around and selecting those items. You pick them up, analyze them, take notes on them in your notebook, and then you interview any witnesses at the scene. You get a few leads in that notebook and you get to follow through. Those leads are given to you automatically by the game, or sometimes you have to call into the dispatch in order to find an address or something like that it, it, you don't have cell phones so naturally you have to call in to get those addresses now once you do that you continue to do that throughout the case interviewing new and new people following it out and for the most part the game holds your hand pretty well showing you where you need to go and Cole Phelps as the protagonist for the most part provides you all the guidance you need the core gameplay mechanic that basically everything in this game was built to support is this whole facial animation system and the interrogation sequences. The motion scan technology used in Ellie Noir hadn't been used before and as far as I can tell hasn't been used in at least the same capacity since and it was because it was developed specifically for Team Bondi for use in Ellie Noir by a subsidiary company of Team Bondi by the name of Depth Analysis in Australia. Essentially how motion scan works is that there's 32 cameras all uh, braced and placed around an actor. The actor sits in a chair in the middle of this space, all evenly lit on all sides, and he's filmed or she's filmed as they deliver a line or a sequence of dialogue. Essentially what happens is these 32 cameras capture a three-dimensionally mapped video of the performance that the actor is giving. So instead of just having a two-dimensional texture that's been mapped onto a model and then the model moves to give the illusion of life, 
what happens is that that 3D texture is then mapped onto the 3D model and it's a video, so the video will actually play out on this model, giving a more believable, at least at the time, a more believable looking animation. Now this of course has its drawbacks as does everything. How this worked with the rest of the animations is that they would go through uh, a motion capture setting where they would capture the body movements and then they would go and do motion scan directly after that to get the movements for the broader scene and then also to get the facial animations for the specific scenes such as the interrogations. However, as you remember, this game was developed for the 360 and the PS3 and later ported in November of 2011 to the PC. That means that you don't exactly have a lot of resources left over after having constant uh, essentially sticky mapped videos on characters, you don't have a lot of resources left over to properly simulate clothes moving or to do other really cool, interesting animation things that could be done in later games such as GTA 5 when it came out on the 360 and PS3 as well. That game was capable of doing a lot of things graphically that Ellie Noir simply wasn't able to do. Now, in your first hour or so of playing L.A. Noir, especially in 2017, it might slap you in the face and it might be a little hard to look at, especially with the mouths. When they open up, it's not exactly pure black because there isn't an actual hole within the model's head. It's actually just a, a video capture of somebody with their mouth open. So it doesn't look quite right. But once you've played through the game for a few hours, you start to get used to it and your brain sort of accepts what it's seeing. And and all of a sudden, you find yourself completely immersed in the facial movements and the believable actions of the characters in this world. Now this technology hasn't been seen since, and it's a little strange as to why that is. Apparently the game that was being developed by uh, Team Bondi, or at least after they were acquired by another company, the game that that team was developing was called Whore of the Orient, and this game was going to use the very same motion scan technology, except they were going to use it in entire scenes, meaning that they wouldn't separate out motion capture and the facial capture sequence and uh, sessions, they would actually merge them and they would have hundreds of cameras surrounding a sound stage and then they'd capture actors as they performed a scene and then would map those movements. Whether or not that would work or be really cool or interesting, I'm not sure. It's way above my level of perception in the animation world and way above my pay grade naturally. But this project, Horror of the Orient, was shut down in 2016. Officially, it was announced to have shut down uh, after it reached a standstill in roughly 2013. They didn't provide any status updates, and as a result, motion scan as a technology essentially disappeared. That makes Ellie Noir a very, very special and unique type of game. You won't see this facial animation technology anywhere else, and certainly not employed in the same way. And this facial capture technology is all throughout the game. Every scene that you do, there is animations for the faces. When you're talking to characters, it's all captured. Apparently, there's roughly 21 hours of captured dialogue just between the core main characters. And among all of the lesser characters, there's even more for all of the little things they do in the world. Now, why is this important? Well, because in these interrogation scenes, you're expected to choose one of three options. You can either believe the person and what they're saying, you can doubt what they're saying, or you can accuse them of lying. If you accuse them of lying, you have to have some shred of evidence that you've collected previously in order to prove that they're lying, and then you get a response. As you interrogate individuals, if you get a question right, for instance, they may offer up new information which leads to a new clue, but if you get a question wrong, then you don't get access to that clue, and that may, might make it harder to interrogate or talk with somebody later on, who, if you had that piece of evidence and information, you could actually force them into telling you who did it, or whatever it may be. All of these things loop back into each other, especially when you get into later cases, it's all connected. However, as I previously stated, I actually tried 
purposely losing and failing every question and every clue in a case that I was doing. It was a typical murder case after you get promoted to a homicide detective. And unfortunately, I lost my footage for this when I lost those 10 hours. So I will try to describe it uh, in as much detail as I can. I went on Reddit and the wiki and looked up what were the correct answers and what were the wrong ones. And I went through the entire mission, running over as many people as I could while I was driving around and getting as many questions wrong as I could, doing as much as I could to screw everything up. However, I very quickly hit a wall. You can't actually go through a case without discovering or searching through scenes in their entirety because you'll never get prompted to confront the perpetrator or actually accuse them of something in order to resolve the case until you find certain pieces of evidence. So already you're at a standstill and you can't really suck completely. You can fail all these questions in the interrogations. You can screw a ton of stuff up, but you can't outright fail. Now I understand why Team Bondi did this. They wanted to make sure that the player, even if they messed up an interrogation because they weren't paying attention or because of their own mistakes, maybe an animation was messed up or there was a glitch or something and somebody just misread another person's face, something like that. They wanted a player to still be able to complete the case and not have to start over and go through the whole thing again. So what they did is they made it so if you fail an interrogation for whatever reason, you can go back to the scenes and find certain pieces of evidence that will still explain away whatever the case is. However, this means there's no real consequences for playing the game poorly. You can rush through every case doing the bare minimum and still solve the cases, which is why for certain people in certain playstyles, this game will be an absolute trudge. You won't enjoy any of your time with it. You'll feel as though it's a chore because there's no way to actually fail. There's a bare minimum that Team Bondi has set, and if you provide the game with that bare minimum effort, you will find yourself succeeding and getting through certain missions just fine. However, I highly recommend that you do not do this because you have to give yourself over to the game in some way. The game is built to play like one of those old detective films that you used to watch with your grandparents. It's supposed to feel like that. And if you don't give yourself over to the game and treat it as though you actually are a detective in 19, late 1940s Los Angeles, you aren't going to enjoy yourself whatsoever. The frustrating thing just being that this in turn means that the interrogations, which is the entire gameplay mechanic that this game was built on, is a bit of a moot point. There's no real effort needed in order to get through these cases. You can screw up every interrogation and still come to a conclusion. You can run over as many people as you want and you'll be financially uh, punished as a result or perhaps they'll even give you a black and white scene that says case failed but you'll never outright fail or screw up or be demoted directly as a result of an action that you made. The game actually tries to trick you at one point into believing that you have been demoted as a result of one of your actions, as a result of your free will within the game, when in reality, in actuality, you're actually part of a scripted sequence where at a certain point in the game you are demoted because you pissed off the wrong person in the department and it's just demonstrating the logistics and the, the politics of uh, police work, especially at that time. You've got to play the game the way they want it to be played, and if you don't, you're going to be punished. So L.A. Noir is a game that gives the illusion of choice and of freedom, the idea that you can convict the wrong person or the right person, when in reality it doesn't actually matter. You will always go on the same path, you'll always end up in the same place solving the case uh, and moving on to the next one, and that's just how it is. And if that bugs you, at least you know now before you start playing, but if that doesn't sound like a real issue, which I personally don't think it is as long as you accept the game for what it is then you can still have a great time with it 
Now this all feeds into the one point which most people I've talked to about Ellie Noir all agree on, and that is that this game was really held by, back by the technology that it was working with and the hardware that it was forced into working with at that time. Ellie Noir was in many ways pigeonholed by the restraints of memory, of RAM, of VRAM. It was severely constrained and bottlenecked as a result. Its potential was now Never fully realized. If you w were to make this game over again in 2017, what I picture it as being is being a fully realized Los Angeles in this correct time period, almost exactly as it was in the game we got, but where you can actually explore the area where everybody has their own schedule where quests and certain crimes are dynamically generated, where somebody will just pickpocket somebody on the street and you can start a dynamically generated quest as a result, going all the way through, where you go through the world and all it all has branching choices and your actions have true impact. Nobody is going to have exactly the same journey or same experience, where you'll actually have money that you can spend and use to upgrade perhaps your car or your own suit. You can choose to interrogate certain people or not to, and as a result, you can argue for certain punishments and leniency and talk to the DA in certain instances to get somebody off, even though they or if they helped you, and as a result, and kind of paying them back for helping you. All of these are elements that naturally should fit into a game like Ellie Noir pretty comfortably but instead are left out simply because of cost and because of the technological restraints that they have. Now, of course, there's always going to be things that you'd want added to a game. No matter what game you're talking about, there's always more that can be done. No game is perfect. Every game has issues, and there's always more that can be done. And, and you basically never complete a game. You simply abandon it and leave it to be fixed or upgraded later on with DLC or patches, but even then it's never actually finished. You still have work to do and you simply have to accept that it's never going to fully meet or reach or even exceed your expectations. Now, in excitement for this video, when I got to play through the game again, I naturally fell back in love with it and was really enjoying my time with it and started Googling and looking up uh, possible sequels and any rumors on sequels for this game that might be out there. It's a little unclear what the future for the L.A. Noir franchise is at the moment because the team that built it, Team Bondi, was shut down and acquired by another company in 2012. L.A. Noir was very, very popular, sold a lot of copies, got great reviews on Steam all over the place, but Team Bondi was shut down and essentially disgraced after rumors and, and claims came out about very poor work conditions. To this day, it's not extremely clear whether these allegations were true or were not. Some people claim that work conditions were absolutely horrible, and some people were working 100 hours a week and it was absolutely atrocious. Others came out later and said, well, no, that's not entirely true. In crunch time, yes, you'd work crazy long hours, perhaps sleep at the office, but it wasn't that bad. To say it was is a little crazy, blah, blah, blah. So it's not exactly clear whether or not that was true. But even if it was true, it doesn't take away from the product that they delivered. Horrible work conditions are horrible naturally, but it doesn't mean that the product they created was rubbish. And we're looking at the product specifically. And the product specifically for Rockstar as the publisher made a lot of money, was very successful, was reviewed very, very favorably, and is deeply held as a favorite game of many, many individuals, including myself. Now, based on my research, it isn't exactly clear to whom the L.A. Noir brand and title and rights actually belong to. I would recommend and I would expect that they would uh, belong to Rockstar because they published the game and were responsible for much of the funding and a lot of the creative uh, turns that the game took during the course of its development. But it is possible that the rights, at least in some degree and to some extent, were were held by Team Bondi and were bought out with the company. 
Rockstar executives have previously stated that L.A. Noir is a franchise that they hold very near and dear to their heart, and in 2012 they said they were interested in following L.A. Noir up with another game, but that Rockstar is not in the habit of rushing sequels. So all in all, it isn't exactly clear where Rockstar is gonna go after this with the franchise. It's possible they'll update it and perhaps in a year or two, we'll get a follow-up to this game uh, or perhaps a remaster or a new release entirely within the franchise. There have been rumors that a remaster of L.A. Noir is coming and will actually come to the Switch sometime later this summer as a sort of surprise drop, but I, I I personally would take that with a grain of salt. Maybe not this this summer, but perhaps later on in the year. But if they were to do that, that would hint at an interest in the franchise, at least to update it, get people excited for it before coming out with a new one. It's, it's sort of a natural thing and a common sense idea. If you're getting ready to release a sequel, it only makes sense to release a remaster of the original to get people pumped for the following one. All of this just to say that L.A. Noir is a game that I hold very near and dear, but I really think it was limited by the hardware that it had, and the remaster is only going to do so much. The gameplay was directly impacted, and its potential was directly impacted by the hardware and the time at which it was developed. L.A. Noir is an incredibly ambitious title that's trying to do a lot. It has a huge open world, except the only thing that you're really able to go off and do within it is solve cases and answer calls from the dispatch and basically drive around to the locations that you have marked on your map already. There's not much else to do. It feels like a living, breathing city, but you don't actually get to participate in it. It's like you're locked behind a glass door just looking in from the outside and you never actually get to see it for what it actually could be. And that's why I, I just want to voice my hopes for a sequel or for a remake or true rebuilding or remaster because I do believe that this game had so much potential and still, even in the potential that was realized, is absolutely phenomenal, but it was still held back and I can only dream of what it would have been had it been developed today as opposed to six years ago. As for other gameplay elements, such as the controls, the shooting, the driving, as I previously stated, everything that this game does in terms of gameplay is done better by other titles. Not just a little better, like you could say, oh, well, this shooter is outdone by this shooter in this capacity with, uh, you know, realism or with the feeling of the weapons in the controller, whatever, what have you. But in L.A. Noir, truly, the open world elements are done much better by other games, even at that time and place in 2011. The driving mechanics are clunky and the car variety is there but the cars once you begin driving them don't actually have any difference in their feel when you're driving them uh, when you're going through and you're moving through scenes the movements very dry and slow it, it feels a little real I suppose but it doesn't feel satisfying to actually control it does feel like you're playing a video game at least for the first portion you can get used to it but after all it it is there. The gameplay variety is pretty non-existent. You might have a few car chases here and there or you have to chase down a suspect, but for the most part you're going to be doing the same thing you've done in every case, which is simply look around for clues, interrogate people, rinse and repeat. This gameplay loop is not going to work for everybody, but the people that it does work on, it'll directly feed back into the narrative element, which we talked at length about before. And if you happen to be one of those people that can accept the gameplay for what it is and instead focus wholeheartedly on the narrative side of the game and, and the world that they've built, you will have an absolutely fantastic time. I personally can't tell you if you're going to enjoy the gameplay that this game offers, but you are, after all, able to try it. If you were to buy this game on Steam very, very cheaply at the moment, might I say, then you can try it for two hours, and if you hate it, then you can return it, and if you were to go and try it on another platform, you can borrow it from a friend. Chances are you know somebody who has this game. 
LA Noire doesn't offer a whole lot of gameplay variety or gameplay choice. You are going to play through the game the same way that your friend did, the same way that your neighbor did, the same way I did, the same way somebody you've never met in Nigeria did. That's just the reality of this game, and if you can accept that and enjoy it, you'll have a great time. But it is very, very subjective, and the only way to truly tell if you'll enjoy it is to try it. And that brings us to the meta section of the video, where I try to pull everything together into a coherent idea. And the essential idea is that L.A. Noir is a great game and a terrible game. It's a great game on the narrative side, and it's addictive, and it's fun to play for some people. But at the same time, you look at it, and if you follow through on a checklist, it has very few gameplay mechanics to actually engage with. And the ones that it does have are pretty poorly developed to the point where you can abuse them and completely ignore them and still win and succeed. Imagine a shooter where you didn't actually need to hit anybody, but you still passed every single level. Once the level started, you could run off in the corner, basically just stand there running around in circles and you would still pass the level. That is essentially what L.A. Noir does with its interrogation mechanic. The entire focus of the detective element of the game is on these interrogations, being able to determine whether somebody is telling the truth or lying to you based on their facial expressions, and those interrogations are essentially unnecessary. That is an objectively bad gameplay mechanic. It's poorly developed and it's something that can be outright ignored and the game allows it to be ignored. I don't recommend playing it that way, neither would the developer recommend that, and if you try to play it that way you'll have a terrible time. But objectively, the fact that that is even allowed shows that the game is broken. Now to say that something is broken is not to say that it's of poor quality or that it never was great or that that it can't be used to great effect even though it's currently in this unfortunate state. If I have a Lamborghini and the right passenger door happens to have a hinge broken, so if I open it, the door will fall off, yes, the car is technically broken. It has a broken element, but I can just hop in through the driver's seat and I'm fine. I can still enjoy the rest of this high quality product. So, point being, I understand when people say that L.A. Noir is a bad game objectively, because it kind of is. Objectively, it is a game that is more of an interactive series of movies or miniseries on TV with some uh, interaction and playability, but for the most part, you're going through a strict narrative story where you solve certain cases, eventually you deal with a crazy serial killer and, and you have a great time doing it, but you are still on a linear track and the gameplay mechanics can, for the most part, be ignored and you can still continue. However, I also agree with people that say L.A. Noir is one of their favorite games of all time, even one of the most impressive games developed for the 360 and PS3. And it's this weird paradox, and I have a little trouble coming to grips with it even now as I'm recording this audio for this video. It's a little bizarre. My brain, for whatever reason, is willing to forgive all of the shortcomings in the gameplay department in favor of promoting this game to this very, very high place in my mind and in my hierarchy of video games, which is fairly broad. But to be honest, this isn't a new thing for gamers. A lot of gamers and a lot of video games have very serious issues, but are still fun, are still enjoyable, and people still love them. A lot of elements in Bethesda games, for instance, are outright broken, sometimes literally to the point where you can't play the game. My first run through of Skyrim, I was trying to join the Dark Brotherhood, and at one point a rock spawned in the doorway and I couldn't progress through the quest 
so it was just done. I was playing on a console, so I couldn't actually get past that point because a rock had spawned in the doorway. There was no progressing. It was outright broken, but I still enjoyed the game on the whole, and I think L.A. Noir is the same thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful creature with a gimp leg. It's gorgeous, it's beautiful, it's majestic, but it does have one really ridiculously obvious flaw. And in this case, it's that the gameplay is so poorly developed that somebody who's focused purely on gameplay is going to have a nightmare trying to play it. However, at the end of every single one of these long-form critiques, I try to recommend honestly what you should do with this game. With newer games, it's always a little bit harder because you're talking about a game that usually costs about $60 and the DLC is going to cost even more if you really get into the game. So my recommendation bears a bit of weight. I don't want to just willy-nilly uh, throw out a recommendation either which way. But the reality is that you can get Eleanor War currently for around $10 on whatever platform you're looking at. And depending on where you are in the world, it might be more, it might be less, but roughly $10 is what you're going to be paying for it. And for the entertainment that you're getting for that $10, it's an absolute steal and therefore I cannot recommend this game enough. But that's about all I have to say. Hopefully you enjoyed this video, it's been a long time coming. I played through the whole thing, recorded all the gameplay, and lost 10 hours of footage while I was in the midst of recording this video. It was truly heartbreaking, but hopefully it was good enough and you got the gist of what I was saying. But either which way, I would love to hear your thoughts on this game and the video down in the comment section below. If you'd like to join our Discord, we have a great time over there. There. And if you want to tune in to my weekly podcast, we stream every day on Fridays live. I interact with you, the audience, and we have a lot of really fun interactive segments that get really ridiculous and funny. I highly recommend you check them out. But that's about all I have to say. If you've made it to the end of the video, you are truly a scholar and a saint. I love you all very, very much, and I'll see you in the next video. Peace out. I'll be good again, but while loving you's the charge I'll never be. Cause baby, you know I'm guilty.